0: You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. About a week ago, one of my dear brothers in the ministry, tragically and unexpectedly, lost his wife. So, earlier this week... Our pastor's cohort, we have a small group uh, for pastoral accountability and mutual support. Our pastor's cohort traveled down to Tyler, Texas in order to help our brother Ben to bury his wife, Rachel, in hope of the resurrection. And together, each of us in the pastor's cohort took part in leading the two services, the funeral service and the grade size service. And Ben asked me to preach the service, and it was a heartbreaking but beautiful service, and it was packed. There were like 600 people there who came to show their love and support for Ben and his family. And after the service, we went outside the church, and we prepared to move toward the graveside service. Uh... And, and we were going to have a police escort. And we jumped in the van together, our pastor's cohort, we jumped in the van together. And we were at the front of the, of the line, um, right behind the hearse. And the police uh, then led us out. And we had about a 30-minute drive to get to the graveside. And when we first started out on the road, I, I looked back through the back window. And it looked like there was a seemingly endless line of cars that were in the procession, following us to the graveside. But right after this, there was something absolutely striking and beautiful, this feature of East Texas culture that blew me away. As we were driving on this 30-minute drive to the graveside, I started to notice that the cars and the oncoming traffic were stopped. And at first I thought it was because there was a lot of traffic because of the police escort that was stopping at intersections and creating a way for us. But what I soon realized is that it wasn't because of the traffic. One of these features of East Texas culture is that whenever people see a funeral procession coming, the people who are on the other side of the road, they stop their cars in acknowledgment. And many of those people actually got out of their cars and they put their hands over their heart. As the procession came past, 30 minutes, there was not a single car that didn't stop. And there were workers on the side of the road who were doing their everyday blue collar work and right in the middle of their work when they saw the people who were in pain coming, they stopped, they would take off their hard hats and they would put them across their hearts. It was as if the entire community was communicating to this procession of hurting people. We see you in your pain, we're sharing in your sorrow, and we're compassionately standing with you as your community. It made me think about the fact that we live in a very busy and distracted and selfish culture. But as I beheld this beautifully moving expression of East Texas culture, it struck me that this is exactly the kind of counterculture that we are to foster in God's church. When people are suffering and heartbroken, when people are struggling and in despair, when people are overwhelmed by pain and loss, The church is to be the kind of community in which every single person stops to show signs of solidarity and care. The church is to to be the kind of people that communicates to those who suffer, we see you in your pain, we're sharing in your sorrow, and we're compassionately standing with you as your community. In our text for today, we see that this way of life, This way of being was crucial to the mission of the early church. And if we're going to be faithful and fruitful in the mission that God has given to us, then we must embrace the demands of love and we must embrace the demands of mission. These are our two points for today, the demands of love and the demands of mission. So let's look at our first point, the demands of love. Now, when we come back into texts like the book of Acts, we often look at the early church with a set of rosy colored glasses. A sort of way of looking at the early church where we don't really see the the real life issues that were going on, but this was indeed real life. And in this text before us, we see a cross-cultural tension arise in the church. And I want to frame this up for you a little bit. When Israel was exiled according to the word of the Old Testament prophets. The Jewish people wound up scattered to different places that were far away from their home in Israel, far away from Jerusalem. These were the Jews of the Diaspora. And they maintained their faith in the Lord, even though they had been scattered from their homeland. But after Alexander the Great conquered the known world at the time, and he spread Greek culture all through the world, these diaspora Jews, for centuries, were brought up in the context of Greek culture. They kept their Jewish faith, but culturally, they became different from their family and brothers and sisters back home in Jerusalem. And according to custom, many of these diaspora Jews would move back to Jerusalem in their old age so that they could die in their homeland. And many widows were sort of refugees in in, in Jerusalem, and they were left in Jerusalem without any support because they weren't where they had grown up out in the diaspora. And what happened is that the church rose up to meet the needs of these widows. But the rapid growth of the church made this task so overwhelming that pretty soon the apostles start to drop the ball on caring for all of these widows. They start to drop the ball on this social impact work. And a complaint goes up along the, the, the age-old cultural lines, and the church soon recognizes that it has a justice problem. It has a justice issue. The widows from among the Hellenists, the Greek culture Jews, they're being neglected in the daily distribution. The daily distribution was a way of meeting the, the urgent needs for food and water and clothing and basic care. And they were being neglected in that daily distribution. And when this justice issue is raised, when the Hellenists identified the justice issue in the early Christian community, the Hebrews could have responded saying, forget about those social issues. What really matters is preaching the gospel. The Hebrews could have replied by saying, man, these Hellenists are going all liberal with all of this emphasis on justice and social issues. I think they're woke and they're destroying the church. The Hebrews could have gaslit the Hellenists and said, Here you go, playing the widow card again. You're making too big a deal about this. They could have come up with any number of excuses to avoid the justice issue and to leave it unaddressed. And if they had left the justice issue unaddressed, it would have been a big blow up that derailed the church and its mission. But what happens is that the early church sees the pain of the Hellenists. They stop the car and they show the signs of solidarity and care. They make an immediate move to address the justice issue head-on, because in their minds, the work of justice was essential to mission. They knew that cross-cultural love is at the heart of the gospel. They knew that they could not go out into the world as a just church claiming to represent a just God. They knew that faithfulness and fruitfulness in the mission required that they Do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with their God as the Old Testament prophet declared. They knew that both word and deed were indispensable to the mission that God had given them. And they refused to neglect either of these important expressions of Christian ministry, word or deed. And I hate to say it, but it has become clear that many modern American expressions of the Christian faith have lost these bearings. And it has severely hindered Christian mission in this land. Modern American churches, to be clear, have a justice issue. And far too often when these issues are raised by people of color or women, and others suffering under injustice, the reply that comes back from majority culture Christians is, forget about those social issues. What really matters is preaching the gospel. Far too often, Christians respond to the cries of the hurting by saying, man, these people of color and these women are are going liberal with all this emphasis on justice and social issues. They're going woke, and I think they're destroying the church. It's often the case that Christians in positions of power and influence gaslight the marginalized and say, here you go playing the race card again. Here you go getting political again. You're making too big of a deal about these things. They actually are more angry at the exposure of injustice than they are at the actual injustice. And by the way, those who say you're getting political are no less political. Their politic is status quo. Because they're in a position of benefit. We have to see with clear eyes, this is not the time for holding back the truth. The mission of God is at stake in the life of justice for the church. And our mission will be impacted by how much or how little we are aligned to this kingdom priority. And what I'm suggesting is we need to look at the first century church to get some clues about how this can take shape in our modern church time and time again y'all we see that american christians have come up with more creative ways to avoid injustice than they do to address it we leave the issues unaddressed and because american christians often leave justice issues unaddressed we've witnessed blow-ups that have severely hindered christian mission our calling as the apostles and the early church demonstrates for us, is to make immediate moves to address justice issues head-on because we have the mind of Christ and we understand the work of justice to be a central aspect of the mission. We know that cross-cultural love is at the heart of the gospel. We know that we can't go out into the world as an unjust church expecting that we're going to faithfully represent a just God. We know that faithfulness and fruitfulness in the mission require that we do justice and walk humbly with our God. We know that both word and deed are indispensable to the mission that God has given us. And we must refuse to neglect either word or deed. The church has, at many times and in many ways, failed at embracing both word and deed. And based upon your disposition or your own personal story or your own upbringing in a particular church tradition, you may be more oriented to one or the other. You might be really emphasizing the word, or you may really be emphasizing deed. But I'm here to tell you it's a false dichotomy. It's not an either or, it's a both and. But let's think about for a second what it means if you fall off the horse to To either of these sides all word and no deed all word and no deed undermines the weight and truth of the Word of God it's bad theology actually because it represents a disembodied spirituality like the human person is a brain on a stick and what people really need is just to get the right ideas never mind their physical embodiment or their physical sufferings or their physical needs It's a poor anthropology, and it's a reductionistic thinking around mission. This actually works against people believing the word of God. Ironically, all word and no deed is not really all word after all, because you have to ignore major portions of the Bible in order to be all word and no deed. It's been said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And I think that's true. This is all word and no deed, but there are others who are all deed and no word. And what this does is it reduces the church to little more than another nonprofit do-gooder organization that's really unnecessary in light of the fact that there are already a lot of organizations that are doing that good cause work. And, and in many cases, better than a church can. Here's the thing. The uniqueness of the church is that we're supposed to be a people that comes to the word of God, that hears the gospel of Christ, and out of those gospel resources, we do the good work of the kingdom that we've been called to do. It is the word of God that nourishes the life of good works. This is the the rhythm of it all. This is the way it's supposed to work in the church. That we as laborers in the kingdom have hearts that are captivated by the word, motivated by what we read in the word, and then we go out and we bring every kingdom resource at our disposal to bear in the world far as the curse is found. If you don't believe in word and deed, stop singing joy to the world. (laughs) It's the word of God, rightly understood, that leads to the deeds. The word leads us to the life of love. The word leads us to the life of justice. The word leads us to the urgency of cross-cultural love. The word leads us to address broken social realities. And on the flip side, good deeds reflect back on the word. Good deeds reflect back on Jesus and show the difference that he makes in an individual's life, in in a community's life, in a social reality. Jesus can make a difference. Good deeds serve as a hermeneutic, as an interpretive lens for our neighbors by which they can come to understand who the Christian God is and what the Christian life is all about. And we must never, ever, ever, ever lead our neighbors to believe that God has nothing to offer the marginalized and the sufferer. He offers both word and deed through his community. The word of the gospel is the announcement of what God has done in Jesus Christ to rescue his creation from sin And to restore his creation. And when you are rescued by hearing and believing this word of good news. It's no weak and tepid truth that has entered your heart. It's power. It's power. It's transforming power. It's renewing power. It's power to serve. It's power to love. It's power to give. It's power to deny yourself. It's power to get your hands dirty and caring for others and serving them. The reality is that all word and no deed, and all deed and no word are neither biblical nor desirable. God's call to us is to be faithful to both word and deed. And we all have a tendency to emphasize one over the other. So we have to be about the word. Maybe you've heard that, that old phrase, preach the gospel and if necessary use words. That's like saying, give me a call, and if necessary, use numbers. (laughs) The gospel is the word of God that speaks clearly and definitively about what Jesus has done. But we live in line with the gospel through our good deeds, both of them together. We must resist reducing the Christian faith to either one of these. The apostles we see in this text, they care about both. They themselves lead the community in preaching the word, but they also appoint a seven-man cross-cultural leadership to lead the diaconal ministry of the church. Many believe that this is the beginning of the diaconate in the church. And I want you to notice the power dynamics at work in the early church. Do you see this in a text? Look at this. The part of the Christian community that suffers the injustice... Is not only heard by the part of the community that has committed the injustice, but they're also given positions of power in the community so that they can help the church to address the justice issue. Do you see that? They say, oh, we have missed something. We must put you in a position of power to help us to avoid falling into injustice down the road, to avoid missing people that we're obviously overwhelmed to the degree we can't see them. But why did the apostles care so much about both word and deed? Because they were witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who spoke the words of life, who was the word of life, and enacted the deeds that bring life. The entire life of Christ was the grid through which they witnessed the importance of both word and deed. The entire life of Christ says word and deed, y'all. He proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand. He proclaimed good news to the poor. He proclaimed liberty for the captives. He proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus also healed the sick. And Jesus cleansed lepers. And Jesus fed the poor. And Jesus befriended the sinner. And Jesus defended the outcast. Jesus accomplished our salvation through both word and deed. He died for the sins of his people, and he declares our pardon, word and deed, work and word. He rose from the grave for his people, and he proclaims his victory to us, work and word. He gave his life, and then he preached about the life that is in him, work and word. Our salvation hangs upon the work and word of Jesus. And if we have a word and deed savior, you got to know he wants to produce a word and deed community. These are the demands of love. Word and deed. This is the demand of love. This is what the church in the first century took out into the world. But this text also shows us the demands of mission, which brings us to our final point. To put it plainly, what we see in this text is that Christian mission requires every member ministry every member ministry every member on mission if i was in the black church i'd tell you to turn to your neighbor and tell him you're a missionary <laughs> that's who you are you are in the ministry okay notice the emphasis in the text Listen, look at the look at the emphasis verse 2 and the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples verse 5 And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen and and the rest. We can see here that the whole community, every member was involved in correcting the injustice for the sake of the ongoing mission. Every member was on mission and involved in the ministry. And the apostles, they model something really important for the church early in its mission. And it's this. Ministry is not something that is exclusively carried out by the paid professionals. Ministry is not something that is exclusively carried out by the paid professionals. When the apostles say in verse 2, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, the issue is not moral, it's not a right and wrong, the issue is calling. There is no hint whatsoever that the apostles regarded social work as inferior to pastoral work or beneath their dignity. It was entirely a question of calling. And they knew that they could not and should not do everything in the church. They knew that it was their calling to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. But they also knew that it was the calling of other brothers and sisters in the community to lead on in diaconal work and service opportunities, and other ministries of the church. Listen, our amazing staff and leaders at Grace Mosaic are here to help lead and mobilize and structure this community. And Pastor Joel and I are specifically tasked with equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You know who the saints are? Say it, me. Right? Everybody. Everybody. That's what Paul says in Ephesians, and that's the work of pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. What I'm saying is that every member of the body of Christ matters deeply to the mission. And a lot of times, when you self-alienate by not actually participating in the mission, you feel the loneliness. You all of a sudden start to, it, it appears that there's an inside group and an outside group but it's not a click. It's just that you ain't in the mix. So get in the mix. Every member ministry, every member a missionary. Y'all hear what I'm saying? No one's trying to keep you on the outs. No one's trying to make a click. It's just when you get in the grind together and you're serving together and you're laboring together, bonds of love form and community forms, but it's permeable. There is not one ministry team in this church Or one community group in this church that wouldn't say, welcome, come on in. Glad to have you. You want to get to work with us? Amen? Amen. All right. This is what we see in the text. It's every member ministry. And every member is important to the mission. Do you understand? Each of you are important in God's eyes as it relates to his mission. He has assignments for you. And not only are you important in God's eyes, you're important in our eyes. Can I tell you that the leadership of this church loves you and sees you and wants to help mobilize you, not just for the work of mission with respect to our neighbors, but for your own joy and for your own growth in grace? You know, there are some times where you have personal life problems and you are like So inwardly focused and so self-referential that you don't realize that the issues going on won't actually be resolved by more navel-gazing. They actually don't get resolved until you get out into the work. And then you start to get fresh perspective. Then you get a communion with God and your community that helps to put the issues into perspective. It helps to remind you of the big cosmic drama of which you're a part. And your problems take their proper context in the bigger story of God. Sometimes the thing that you need is to to serve. And that ends up bringing healing to your soul. When any among us is well. So it's every member ministry, but also just to remind you of the text. Remember the Hellenist widows. And remember the righteous response of these Hebrew Christians. It's beautiful. One of the most beautiful things you can see is when people can be told that they're in error, and their response is not defensiveness, but humility and saying, I want to make this right. I repent. I, we've, we've, we've neglected. It was a sin of omission. It, it wasn't, it wasn't um, malicious. They were overwhelmed with all the people, but they made moves to make it right. Not only does this text show us every member ministry, but it shows us that every member of the body counts. And when any member in our midst, anyone in our community is hurting, we're all supposed to stop our car, get out, and show the signs of care and solidarity. Let me put it to you like this. Have you ever late at night Been walking in the dark in your bedroom or something like that and stubbed your pinky toe? (laughs) It's just your pinky toe, but Lord have mercy. Your whole body responds to that jacked up pinky toe. And it wraps around that pinky toe until the pinky toe feels better. It's just a silly little way of saying when any little member of our community is hurting, the whole body responds. That's what we see in the text. They were a thick community of deep care and humility. And they're not only able to recognize injustice in their midst, but they're willing to address it. They didn't rationalize the injustice. They repented of it and repaired it. They didn't justify their failure. They did justice by correcting it. And what was the outcome? Look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. You see that? If you, recoil, if you know you're more oriented to word than deed, you have to understand the text is telling you if you want the word to go out, you got to be about the deeds. That's what the text says. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see this? Let that sink in. The mission flourished even among the people least likely to believe. That is incredible. So we must pray this into our community and lovingly challenge one another to speak the words of life and to enact and embody the works of life. We must strive to create this culture at Grace Mosaic so that when we see people suffering, we stop our cars and communicate to them. We see you in your pain. We're sharing in your sorrow. And we're compassionately standing with you as your community. We must humble ourselves, reject defensiveness when we're shown to be in error, and walk in repentance with a mind to repair what we have broken. This is what a just community does. The mission of God and the life of love demand it. Let's pray.